you realize that you love music and that is your passion. But I feel like that's saying, I love football. I want to play football. But then it's like, well, what position in football do you want to play? You want to be the quarterback, the wide receiver? Sure. You know? sure. And then when you figure that out, you have you do specific training in the gym for that specific position, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because even within any domain, like, like, yeah, saying I like music means almost nothing. Like, what are you talking about? Are you going to work manufacturing microphones? Welcome into the Orlando Drummer Podcast, episode 11. This is a special one. We've got brother Joe Hodgen coming on to the end of the podcast today. And Joe Hodgen is the master loopsmith over at orlandodrummer.com. He has made um, a vast majority of the loops that are on uh, on the site there. I've made a few. We've had a few artists make some for us. But 90 plus percent of the loops um, that are on uh, orlandodrummer.com are all made by Joe Hodgen. He's been working uh, with our team and our family here for... God, almost almost 10 years, which is weird. Before me. Yeah, yeah. before you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he'll be on at the end of the podcast, makes this kind of a special one. Um, but yeah, we still got all our normal segments to get through. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing very well. Awesome. Today. Yeah. I actually, I have uh, been listening to a lot of electronic music lately. Okay, you cool um, then. Cool kid, I'm huh? a cool guy. Cool with the, with the yeah. beep boops, all that electronic I'm, stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I love bleep boop. Buttons, keys, music. I get it. Um, Real music, you know but it's been it's been making me think about what I I want to choose as the loop of the week. This sure, week. sure. Um, so for this week, uh, I chose Chill Hop Volume One, Loop One. Volume One, loop. oh OG yeah. Chill Hop, yeah, yeah. Which was a, just a really uh, use the word chill, chill. loop. <laughs> it yeah. allows you to lay back and focus more on keeping time at slower tempos, which is is awesome. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed jamming to that one and practicing to that one. Sure, sure. Well, let's let people hear it, too, and we'll yeah. talk about it a little bit. Check it out. bounces back and forth between the the best selling slash the most streamed uh loops are always it's between trap v3 and chill hop v3 those two go back and forth all the time um between like like popularity and chill hop man it's it's so cool we wanted we did make a hip-hop loop pack but it was a little on the aggressive side it was like closer to kind of trap and like a little more I don't know. It was just, it was very aggressive. And we said like, well, hip hop doesn't have to be aggressive. It can be sort of on the, 
more like melodic sort of soothing side. And then we kind of were like, what about chill hop? Can we add some strings in here and like really smooth it out? And so that's what the chill hop loop packs are. Um, so smooth, man. I love jamming to those. Probably one of my top choices for like go-to jam tracks to just lay back and groove. And they're not very demanding in that if you want to play rim knocks and eighth notes the whole time, you can totally get away with that. And then if you want to chop out, they're all in that like 60 to 80 BPM window. So you can like really go hard if you care to do that. And so they're really malleable musically that way. Um, but that's a good one, man. Awesome, awesome choice. Chill hops, those loop packs are so much fun. They're really fun. Yeah, man. Cool. All right. We'll start off the podcast as always. Not as always. We might change up the order. We might change the order. You never know. But I like starting out with this. It's a good way to get people to listen because you have to listen closely. It is Player Puzzle. Player Puzzle. Yeah. Yes, sir. With so many drummers out there, it's hard to tell the difference, but some stand out so well that they're absolutely recognizable. And Player Puzzle will provide three hints to see if Adam can guess who's playing. Let's see if we can stomp him. All right. Player Puzzle number one. Yeah, it's going to be old school. Old school. Here's our audio clip. Let's see what we got. Puzzle one. Big band swing. (laughs) I know who it is. So, there is a funny detail about this clip that that not many people know. I'm not, I, I don't know, I, there's no reason why you would know this, but I don't think anybody knows this. Some of you might know who this is already. I'm not going to give it away just yet. Um, I edited this video. Oh, no! <laughs> so, the drummer who did this gig with the big band setup um, had some of the raw clips and really good audio, but they were like... I don't know. I don't really remember this. It was so many years ago. They were either like out of sync or they were, it was something like the video needed um, like text on the bottom of like what the song is and they weren't like separated out. And so I did like some editing work for this particular drummer, which is the only reason I'm like, why is this crazy familiar? Like, oh, it's because I stared at it for hours and hours. So I know exactly who this is. But I want to let people at home finish this one because that was a great clip to choose. There's no way you could have known that specific weird de- detail. No, about I this didn't. Audio clip. I didn't know that. <laughs> I edited all those videos. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Um, but the it's a great clip to choose because it's not at all the style that you would normally assign to this guy. It's actually a, that's why it's such a good audio clip because it's like oh, I thought think, it was so deceiving. Yeah, it oh. it is deceiving. It totally is. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, so you're not getting me on this one, no. but maybe we'll get some people at home because again, really good audio clip to choose from that one. So let's go yeah. to our let's go to our hint for the end of this. No, one. I hope I stump people at home or people listening. Um, <laughs> This was like a With fluke. This. There's no way you could have known that. No, no way. Um, this drummer once compared the timing and structure of comedians' works to necessary attributes of drumming. A nice quote from them is that they find comedy incredibly inspiring. There are so sim- so many similarities and weird things. People don't realize how many parallels there actually are. Sure. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's. Um, I like that analogy a lot for sure because there are... Many of those like 
artistic elements of tension and release and building certain certain feelings right there's definitely plenty of parallels that come to mind for me right away but also there's something to do with like that storytelling element right of like structuring putting things in a certain order there's a lot of that to do and also a weird little side note fun fun little fact the guy who wrote the seinfeld um intro Right, the boom, ba doom, ba doom, ba doom, ba doom, ba doom, ba doom, whatever the skip it So that whole thing was written to accompany stand up comedy in that you would set up a joke. So, like, why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side, like it was meant to punch in and out of language like that. I always thought that was really, really cool. A little bit more of a direct analogy, but um, that's that's cool. Great, great metaphor. Um, and this particular drummer we're talking about is full of them. So, uh, what's our what's our kit photo? We got that here. Yep. Also titled "Old School." Old school. There we go. That's that. Uh, it's got to be a Sonar Vintage series, something like that. Maybe a Pro Light. Maybe a Pro Light. Yeah, probably not a Vintage series because that's not a rounded bearing edge. And the Vintage series from Sonar has a rounded bearing edge. That's a forty-five, forty-five or sixty. Um, so yeah. So everybody at home, if you don't know, this is Brother Benny Gribb. Yes, Hennessy Pleb in my notes, huh. as he is called. Yeah, was uh doing an interview with Chris Brewer on Minor Radio talking about um, Bill Burr, yes, who's a phenomenal comedian. That. Yeah. Um, and talking about meeting him and understanding the parallels between comedy and drumming. Because Bill Burr is a drummer. Bill Burr is a drummer, yeah. so it's really, really funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are so many things we could say about Benny Grab. We'll probably do a whole podcast on him, honestly. We could. But I'm sad that I could not stump you with that. That was Benny playing Buddy Rich tunes. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and that's a really prestigious gig. It was um, yeah. called what was it? Uh, Benny plays Buddy mm-hmm. was the name, what they titled it or whatever. But yeah, yeah, the Buddy Rich Orchestra has a different um, famous or prominent drummer fill in and sort of run the band as Buddy Rich ran that band. I don't know exactly where that was filmed, but I think it's in the same place. They do it every year, every two years or something. Mm-hmm. Weckl has had it, and a bunch of really really famous yeah. drummers. So Pert's done it. Um, wow. Yeah, a lot, yeah. Lot, lot of big famous drummers have done those gigs. And it's a huge, awesome place. Man, it was beautiful with a really big, amazing band. It was so cool. And what was cool was Benny and I actually did a swap where he gave me like a, a few lessons, uh, one of which was in person at NAMM in exchange for editing those sort of videos. Um, so we had a lot of different, a lot of Skype calls about those videos and editing and they were mixed in with all sorts of other conversations so it was really it was a cool 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 project man um the cool also getting to see those videos before anybody else did because it was like what is this like how did he learn how to play this so not his style but then at the same time if you watch all those videos like his style totally makes its way in there at certain Mm -hmm. points so yeah that's uh just youtube search benny plays buddy and you'll mm-hmm. see all those really cool i'm sure you watch some of them of right? course yeah i watch about all of them yeah they're awesome man they're, awesome they're so great so next drummer go ahead okay. and play steel steel what we got here
That's a really hard one. Such a weird mix of styles, like really dynamic, heavy, a lot of ghost notes, a lot of rudiments, a lot of speedy textured sort of things, but also like pretty obviously like a metal background and a metal influence. So that's a really tough one for me. Because, well, I guess it, it's kind of helpful in that it limits it to a certain amount of people. Like a lot of metal players are more like metal purists in that they don't really have a lot of other textures in their playing because that's just not what they play, right? They're much more like obviously a metal player. This is like a metal player who got off that path at some point and they still have all the leftover metal mannerisms in their playing, but ultimately they, they can do a lot of different things. So that is a very tricky one. I don't have a, well, I kind of have one loose guess, but I can't say for sure. Uh, all right, let's go. What's our, what's our fun fact about this drummer? This drummer served 14 months in a military during the Bosnian War. Mm. Bosnian. I don't know the ethnicity of this drummer, but I do know that they're not American. So that would still keep my guess alive. Uh, that's tough. That's really, really tough. Man, I wish I could. I wish I knew this drummer's playing a little better to compare it to that clip a little bit better. All right, let's go to kit photo here. Is that this red one here? Or the redheads? Okay. Huh. What are the symbols? Minel. Ooh, that does change my guess. Okay, I'm going to do a little unorthodox. I'm going to play the clip again with this drummer oh, in mind. Oh, come on. <laughs> Is that too much? No, that's Do not cheating. We never laid out any Okay, rules. okay. Go let's ahead. play the clip again. I might not even finish it here. Let's see. <laughs> I know it. I know it for sure now. Okay, that, that clip. So I'll tell you my first guess. My first guess was Eloy Casagrande, but... He is so, he's such a powerful player that I didn't think it would be him. It's not that he's not able to play dynamically and have a lot of texture and ghost notes in his playing. It's that he's got like a power in his hands that he can't undo. It's like permanently powerful. Everything he plays is just like, holy shit. Like, how did you play that loud, that that thick on the drums? Um, but this guy does have plenty of power, does have plenty of metal chops, but also is weirdly technical um, many, many times. My guess is that this is the Arnold Schwarzenegger of drums, Mr. Thomas Lang. This is Mr. Thomas Lang. Yeah. Yes. The DW is what got it for me. DW Minel. I, can you name another DW Minel guy? Luke Holland, though he, they're great friends, Luke and Thomas. Yeah, they did Taurus together. Yeah. I can't think of another DW Minel combo. Also, that uh, that bass drum mounted for the hands on the on the left side. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a Lang thing for sure. Um, weird kit too. I wonder is it truly made of metal or is that just some sort? I of... I think it a... was a steel kit. Yeah, all steel. Yeah, stainless steel. Wow, which just uh, fits him and like no other drummer that I can think of. Yeah, it's incredible. I would love to hear steel toms. How and how heavy? How much do those weigh? Are we touring with uh, well, steel he, well, drums? Yeah, well, he can lift them. He he's, actually he's, can. Jack, dude, you're right about he's that. He's the biggest <laughs> man alive. Forget who we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These were good ones, though. These were very, very good. They were you awesome. Great, great examples. For yeah. Sure, the audio. I mean, I kind of wanted to withhold these guys for a long time. I, I didn't really want to get them out of the way. I'd love to do more. Yeah, well, because they're videos. super famous, right? Yeah, I just like to listen to them drumming all day. 
but we can't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the you know sanctity of the segment. So cool. Cool, man. That'll finish out player puzzle. Two good ones. We'll get them next time. <laughs> That'll move us on into accent or ghost. This is a piece where we get Adam's view on many aspects of the drumming industry, and at the end we'll get an approval, an accent, or disapproval, a ghost. So for this one, first topic, one mic setups. One mic setups. In the studio, or I guess live, but mostly studio. Yeah, mostly studio stuff. Live, I mean... Uh, I don't think any audio engineer would mess with you if you said, I want one mic on my drums. Yeah, that would be supremely disappointing to be like, wait a minute, we have to run the show with one mic? You know, live though, you could definitely get away with kick, snare, hats, or like kick, snare, and one overhead. You could do that live, I think. Um, Tom fills are going to suck. Just, <laughs> I mean, you're not going to hear it that well. Mm-hmm. But in the studio, and this is, you know, this is especially relevant to a lot of guys that are getting into recording for the purpose of making instagram and youtube content right to just be content creators in some way and i don't dislike that approach at all i think you're saving yourself a lot of time um you're you're avoiding a lot of headaches for sure because the alternative would be to just keep on adding mics i mean i have 13 mics on my kit and i'd be lying if i said that wasn't a pain in the ass sometimes like sometimes that sucks and i'm like man it would really be nice to have one super badass overhead mic and not have to deal with all this stuff what this all hinges on though very oftentimes is control because you do not have nearly as much control over the finished sound of a drum mix if you're only working with one mic. And of course, you could expand this out to like two or three mics. But still, the more mics you have, the more the more individual channels you have in your mix uh, to control and manipulate, the more control you have over your sound. So that's really the biggest con. That's the thing that you're sacrificing or giving up if you just say, I'm going with a one mic setup. You're giving up a lot of control. But with that said, I'm a huge fan of the integrity and the honesty that comes with like a single room mic sound because there is no manipulation of sound to the point where you are not being honest about what your kit really sounds like or what you're playing really sounds like. This is exactly what it sounds like in the room. Um, And maybe the best way to replicate that would be to go stereo, just two overhead mics because you do have two ears and you perceive things from um, multiple directions at once, left and right. But either way, I think if you were going to go with that that single mic setup, you would want to make sure that that's a relatively high quality mic. So I would recommend starting in the $500 and up range. If you were only going with one mic, you should make it a good one. And sort of a, a question that we answered in the last podcast, somebody asked about, um, you know, what kind of mic for the, the overhead uh, would you pick if you could only have one? And I would absolutely go with the Earthworks QTC series or rather just the TC series. Um, They've got, the models are 20, 30, 40, and 50. They start at 400 bucks and go up to like the $1,400 range. But these are omnidirectional microphones which basically cast a very wide net where they can capture um, capture sound. If you're watching on YouTube, imagine if this microphone had like a beach ball coming out from it. That's how it captures sound. It's from every direction all at once. So a single, very high quality Omni mic, uh, that would be what I would, what I would go with. And yeah, man, I, I think at some point you might wanna add a kick drum microphone. You know, you might want to add a snare microphone at some point, but for the most part, that's going to be a killer foundation um, just for for making content. So it depends on what you're doing, but for most people, the reason you're going to get a single mic is for, you know, it's for for making content of some kind, not necessarily cutting an album. So I'll give it the hard accent. There is a part of me that wishes I had thought of it that way back in the day. Would have saved me a lot of time and money for sure. Cool. Yeah, I would definitely accent it too cheaper oh yeah to worry about a lot easier cheaper. to troubleshoot yeah yeah, yeah cool so we got a pick 
to show you. Okay. To bring up, and then I got a little blurb about it. Okay. So this is oh the drum dial, the conditioner. I've seen this before. Go ahead. What's our little yes, blurb here? Yes, the drum dial bearing edge conditioner strengthens and conditions the top of the bearing edge where it contacts the drum head. Solid stick comes in an easy-to-use twist tube for a no-mess application. This is not a wax, soap, or a petroleum product. It allows the drum head to glide smoothly over the bearing edge without affecting the sound of the drum. Waxes, soaps, and petroleum products, ski wax, etc., deaden the drum and head and affect the natural sound of the drum. Made from a proprietary blend of extreme high-pressure lubricants and conditioners, Drum Dial designed this product specifically for drums, not mm. skateboards. Research, <laughs> development, and product testing over many drum dial bearing edge conditioner will not harm wood, plastics, or metal. It's pretty cool. Huh. Thinking about the integrity of your drums. You don't have to worry about it if you're applying this conditioner. Sure, sure. But, I mean, what do you think about it? You really want to put a glue on your bearing edge every time you change out heads or clean off the old goo? Yeah, it's, residue would be my first thing, right? Like, do you have to clean it off? Does it, because, you know, for me, I got a bunch of pets, you know, like hair gets in there yeah. like not my hair because my hair kind of stuck to my head but like like dog hair and cat hair there's no cats in the studio but the dogs come out here sometimes yeah man pet hair can get in there i would wonder are you just dealing with like some goopy mess every time you change your heads and i think you know one thing i would like to know and this might be sort of a silly test to run but man it's a big world somebody's got to run this test has anybody ever a a bead like a dry drum head without this and then put it on and put it back on and is there a discernible difference at all i bet no i mean i'm sure an audiophile would tell you like uh within this frequency range it might be yeah like, like throw it on an oscope and tell me exactly what changes does it matter though sonically yeah it's um I, it's it's weird man because i know steve that runs drum dial and I don't think he would make this if there was like truly no application. If this was like completely and totally bullshit, I don't think he would have made it. Like I'm sure it does something, mm -hmm. but I would love to see a little bit more evidence of like, um, does it really make a difference? Like also I imagine this can't cost more than $10 or something. I think it's pretty cheap. Yeah. Something. I looked at the blur, but I didn't look up the price. Something like that. Yeah. It's, um, oh man, it's so tough. I really have to try it to see if it creates any sort of goopy mess residue, if it's going to have hair stick to the bearing edge, anything like that. I'm out. I'm not interested in that. It can't be big enough of a difference where that's worth it. But if it truly doesn't damage the drum, if it's not really that sticky, and if I only have to apply it like once a year or something, I'm open to it. I don't think it's that crazy of an idea because it is. this is one of the most important areas of a, of a drum set. The point of contact between the bearing edge and the head. All of your energy from your stick passes into the head. From the head, it passes into the shell at this point. So there really could be something to this. I would just have to have that A-B test. So I think just to be on the safe side, I'll give it, I'll give it a hesitant accent. I'm going to have to go with that for this one. Hesitant. Hesitant. Accent. I'm not sure. We are talking about chap sticking up our drums here, so. Yeah, it looked like a glue stick mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when I first brought it up, but I, I guess it's much more than that. Certainly could be, yeah. Cool. Next topic. What do you think about playing drums as a workout? Playing drums as a workout. I have, <laughs> funny. So I'll give you a little quick story here. Um, I did a marketing internship with, uh, with a guy here in town. I um, mean, this was probably almost 10 years ago or something. It was when I worked at Sam Ash, maybe a little after then. Um, and this guy, uh, he owned a very large marketing firm here. I mean, he was also a drummer. 
and he bought the URL uh, bigfatdrummer.com, and he posted. It was like a weight loss blog <laughs> that he did, right? Um, and he had a uh, yeah, he had this whole like sort of concept that you could use drums to lose weight. And I man, I don't know how many calories an hour you burn playing drums, but it's got to be up there with like going on a light jog. Right? It's got to be in that ballpark. It would depend on the gig. It would depend on the genre. Depend on the genre and the style and how hard you were choosing to play. Yeah. Yeah. I think... I think if somebody... I'll tell you, this is what I dislike in the fitness world sometimes. When people have some sort of built-in fitness thing in their life, and because it is somewhat physical... They will say, well, that's my physical fitness, right? Like, so if, for example, if you have a job where you have to walk a lot and then you don't exercise or work out in any capacity and you go, well, I walk a lot when I'm at work. Eh, I don't like that. I think yeah. that's a lazy excuse. I think that that is, you're accustomed to that and therefore it is not difficult. So you're not really challenging your body, kind of missing the point of what it is to go and get a good workout in, you know? So I would say if you are currently not in shape, and playing drums is physically difficult for you, then by all means that could serve as your your physical fitness, right? Like your type of workout. But if you were just a guy that just, or a girl, doesn't matter, if you just play drums and you're calling that your version of physical fitness, uh, I'm gonna call you out on that one. I don't think so, I don't think so. I think um, if anything, you could make the argument that you would be a better drummer and more comfortable on the kit if you were working on your body away from the drum set completely. So I think that's the the territory you gotta be careful of is making sure that that you're not calling it fitness because it's just easy to do that. And yes, it is kind of physical. Um, I think if you are relatively in shape and you're playing drums, you should also be working out and taking care of your meat engine because this is the thing that you gotta use to go play that instrument. And so the better shape you're in, whether cardiovascular, you know, from a cardiovascular standpoint, or even just flexibility would be another element um, of physical fitness that would translate really, really well to drums. Uh, by the way, we have a yoga for drummers course on orlandodrummer.com. Which Anybody? is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, you done I've it. done all of those stretches. I do them <laughs> <Hell> yeah. frequently <laughs> outside of playing the drums. Yeah. And if you want to feel flexible, limber, or loose at all, mm-hmm. do those exercises. They're phenomenal. It's probably the most direct tie into like what will what type of physical fitness will make you a better drummer or like have an impact when you're on the kit. Yoga, it's gonna be yoga really. Weightlifting, I mean, I think everybody should be doing some sort of resistance training, but I I don't know that that's gonna really have any impact on on you playing drums. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cardio will, if that's something that you're struggling with. So yeah, cardio and yoga, those two, I would say, um, yeah, those those would be the biggest ones. So, accent or ghost on drums as physical fitness? Uh, I'm gonna say ghost, no, that should not, Ultimately, that should not be enough. There's there's more work to be done. There's more benefits from physical fitness. And I think you could have a lot more intention when it comes to like, what do you wanna do with your body? Well, it's gotta be past drums, right? I mean, yes, it's physical, I'll give you that one. But nah, beyond that, I wouldn't be comfortable calling the act of playing drums all of my physical fitness, no. Gotta be a little more there. Cool, all right. That'll finish out Accent or Ghost. We'll move on to Sleeper Spotlight. Sleeper Spotlight. In this segment, we introduce a drummer that y'all are sleeping on. We'll get Adam's opinions, his impressions, and constructive criticism, if any. Cool. First up on Sleeper Spotlight for today's episode, Vinny Aguas. Vinny? Clip number one. What you got, Vinny? Tricky groove. 
Man, very, very cool. I, we also got to give him credit right away for playing so consistently, like weird amount of consistency there. It is very difficult to play the same groove and not a very simple groove either, right? He switches to the left hand eighth notes on the hi-hats for a minute. Um, then there's the d two tom sweeping thing that's happening. Yeah. To play that consistently that many times in a row is actually very, very difficult. Yeah, it feels like a loop. It feels like a yeah. loop, exactly, yeah. And that in itself is a skill set. So even though... The difficulty might not have been that high, and I say that just to mean like it's not choppy, it's not technical, it's not super fast, though it is a difficult groove. Like I would have to sit down and work out what he's playing. Um, with that said, the most impressive part of a clip like this is the consistency, that, that it would sound exactly the same uh, for whatever that was, 16 bars or 32 bars or something. You know, um, Really, really impressive for sure. I think I might have seen his clips before i can't remember i can't remember i would need to see something higher level to see if it's the same guy that i'm thinking of I but think istanbul featured him on their instagram okay uh, does he play istanbul i see some zildjians but yeah I, but i think this was an older one before oh, an istanbul okay. like gave him some mini hats that they did a big feature for him okay. on gotcha, gotcha that's how i found him but okay. um Go to his Instagram. He's got less than 10,000 followers. Sure. Clearly, people are missing something. It's on the screen. And uh, this next clip will solidify why he's a sleeper. Okay. Let's see. Vinny, second clip. sound good So this is definitely the video I'm thinking of. I remember who showed me this guy? Juan Carlito Mendoza showed me this kid. And he was like, hey, how, how funny is it that he's named Vinny and he shreds that hard? One mm -hmm. of the all-time greats is Vinny Caliuta. Uh, man, so, so good. Are these, uh, is this a Gretsch kit? I have no idea. I hear like a Gretsch Tom Tone. Maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds like a Gretsch Tom Tone to me from this clip. Man, so good. So fluid. So many advanced ideas built in there. Um, to me, what sticks out is like the prominent skill set that i hear is clarity clarity like each one of these notes is very intentionally placed there are no accidents and while it does seem very improvised um it is not without like purpose like there's a whole lot of intent in his playing this note was meant to go here uh, and i decided that it goes here so there's a lot of confidence and clarity is the word that comes to mind in his playing man some really really clean ideas for sure awesome playing and we got to ask, how old is he? Do we know? Early 20s? Early 20s? Man, I would guess yeah. even younger. I mean, who knows? We're just looking at, you know, who yeah. knows? Either way, goodness gracious, dude. Like, the skill level of <laughs> these kids is just so outrageous. Oh, man. I would love to take a lesson with this kid. Give me some uh, give me some patterns, bro. This was awesome. <laughs> man. And um, the three rack tom setup is always interesting, too, because that always strikes me as unnecessary but very fun to go doon 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 like an all up top yeah it's it's like man that's a lot of tom voices to have up top but um man so good that was really really good so everybody go check out uh go check out vinny 
Um, Instagram handle is on the screen. He is, uh, if he doesn't have 10K followers, I don't know what's wrong with the world we live in, but good <laughs> Lord, go follow this kid, man. A, a lot, a lot Outrageous, outrageous. That was an awesome man. Who we got next? Cool. Next up is Jacob. This is at underscore battery on Instagram. Okay. Um, fun little thing about him. He's, he does like code. He's like a software engineer, okay, gotcha. as well as a drummer. Cool, and he's been like the drummer for some touring acts in the past before. Gotcha. So, gotcha. yeah, super sick drummer. Very cool. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, pop up the two clips of him. All righty, here we go. Clip number one. I thought that was super, super clean. Um, what is it? Yamaha Stage Custom is what that kit is. Beautiful kit for sure. I like the whole style. I like the the groove-themed style and that it's not really about fills and patterns and chops and that sort of thing. Like the style of drumming um, that he's taking on here is very groove-based, and I like that. I think that's really cool when somebody just has a much more, like, a clear preference for that section of what is, like, the rhythmic landscape like you can play anything you want some people for, prefer chops some people are rudiment practice pad people some people are groove people like there's all these different little categories that you can go into and i like when somebody is just like groove i'm just into groove you know i think that was really obvious man um i also like the like the feel change started out with a little drunk drumming like heavy swing sort of this like pulled back sort of vibe and then we went to a much more tighter drum and bass sort of thing and then cut that in half into a halftime vibe i thought that was really cool man really tasteful um and interesting performance too awesome cool let's go to the next one i like his uh i like his vibe here next one from him oh he got what's that pokemon's name on his shirt what's it called oh hold on. i used to love pokemon when i was a little kid I sold all you, the cards. You love it that so much. Mistake. You remember all the names of the... It's Mewtwo. Mewtwo. It's Mewtwo. Okay. All right. All right. I don't really remember. <laughs> I hey, recognized boy. it was a Pokemon. I see you. There you go. All right. With the Mewtwo shirt. Oh, we got a second clip.
call this style? It's almost like expressive groover, right? Like it is all themed around this like home base of groove that yeah. never really leaves. It's not like he he abandons the groove yeah. and starts chopping ever. It reminds me of like old like jungle drum and bass type. Yeah, stuff. there's a little bit of that. Yeah, definitely like there's like a, a he hears grooves quickly like you would yeah. in that style. Yeah. I almost like though that he never breaks away from the some sort of like groove home base that's in there. It's like always themed around this certain thing that he never really leaves but you can hear he like explores within the groove so it's interesting i'd love to hear his idea of like what those boundaries are because it doesn't seem so black and white where it's like here's the groove and then we cut into chops and then back like it's he kind of works in this little middle ground between the two man man i thought that was really good also i love you guys are listening on audio but his technique looks great like wristy in all the right ways looks very comfortable very relaxed like loose shoulders sort of thing um i also like his posture very upright and just sort of like this weird word but like proper you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like sitting how you ought to sit at the drums Awesome, man. That was really, really cool. Definitely go give him a follow, man. That was a that was a sick one. Unique style. Unique style. Yeah. We love the unique ones here. Oh yeah. Cool. Awesome, man. Some good sleepers. Some good sleepers. That'll move on. That'll move us on into QA. Alright. QA. These questions come from Instagram, YouTube, the forums of Orlandodermer.com. Directly to me at Chris at Orlandodermer.com. If you have any questions for Adam or the podcast in general, please. Send them wherever. First question. We had him on the podcast before, too. Uh, Teddy Reese? Oh, Teddy Reese. Yeah, yeah. he's a member. What's up, Teddy? Yeah. Uh, how would you describe your own personal sound slash style? My own sound and style. Man, that's really a, that's a tricky question for me, for sure. Um, I would say sound, like audio, that's a little bit easier. Um, for me, like an honest but very dialed in sound i do like my kit to sound somewhat organic so i don't i don't want it to sound like overly processed i have we've tried doing drum replacements before like me and joe hodgen uh was on the podcast in just a little bit we tried doing drum replacements for youtube lessons like 2011 12 or 13 like somewhere in there and i always hated it i'm like that doesn't that's not what my snare sounds like so i never really did that um so i always like an organic audio sound Um, But with that said, I do like it to be dialed in. So I do like really, really, really spending some time EQing and compressing and just getting like a, again, dialed in is the best picture, is the best best word that comes to mind there. So um, clean but honest would be my, my audio preference. As far as my playing style, really tough, man, because, you know, I grew up, I'll take you through sort of the history, you know, I grew up playing, um... A lot of punk stuff, which kind of turned into metal by like high school. So, you know, Travis Barker was like the jam when I was like 12, 13, 14. By the time I was 15, 16, 17, it was like Under Oath and Chiodos and a lot of the like much heavier, more like scene, emo, screamo kind of music, Warped Tour stuff. You know, so I did that for a little while. Um, and then at some point, it, it kind of like transitioned into more... I guess like hip hop funk and fusion would be the genres that sort of pulled me away from that. So I definitely have like a rock metal bass and a lot of that, what's put on the top of that is sort of like the choppiness of gospel and then a little bit of the like syncopated elements of funk and fusion and hip hop that can come on top of that. So it's some weird blend of all of those. But there's also this weird thing that happens with a lot of educators and that is that as you begin to teach different styles you become sort of a musical chameleon in that i can 
Like, for example, I have never really studied jazz. I can teach fundamental jazz, and I definitely can play a lot of the basics of jazz, but I would be totally lying if I said I could just go sit in on like a high-level jazz improv group. Like, eh, I'm not the dude. It's going to get weird, and I'll be very embarrassed here. So like, I wouldn't put myself in that situation. But with that said... I could make you think that I was good at jazz if I gave you like a one minute clip, right? Because I know enough to play some certain mannerisms and some certain patterns where I could like almost trick you in a way so where you think I'm good at this, but then if you ask me to like change a certain pattern or manipulate or, or do it in this time signature, like, ah, I can't do that, you know? Um, I'm Weirdly, I'm like that with guitar. I can play certain riffs and things that are like, that are beyond my actual skill set. But like, if you just saw me play that, you would think that I was good, but then you realize that I don't actually know all the stuff behind it. And I think education does this to people sometimes. Like, it just makes you get good at teaching very certain specific things, um, but you're not actually proficient in the genre. And I have a good amount of genres that are like that, where I'm just good at a little chunk of it, but not necessarily the entire thing. My own personal style though, really, it, it, it's some blend um, of rock, pop, funk, fusion, hip hop, all sort of mixed together and then throw like a two to three year chops phase on top of that, right? Um, but I've also learned that that it is really limiting to put yourself in a style box. You know, there's some advantages to saying I'm a hip hop drummer and this is the only thing that I study and it's the only thing that I play. You're probably a top contender for like a hip hop gig, but you know who's never going to call you? Somebody from any other genre in the world. So if there's a funk gig, you're not getting the call. If there's a pop gig, Probably not getting the call. Country gig, definitely not, right? So as you put yourself and your own style in a box, you limit yourself uh, and your opportunities get a little bit more narrow. That might be exactly what you want if you only like one style of music. But for me, I never really felt that way. I always felt like I would be just as happy taking the rock gig as the pop gig as the country gig. You know, it never really bothered me. So hard for me to pin down my own style, but it's some blend of all of those. And ultimately, that's what all of us are, right? You're a blend of all of your experiences and everything that you took the time to learn or study or listen to over the years. So good question, man. Hard one for me to answer, but it's a really good question, Teddy. It's clean but honest. And yep. I wrote down chops meets punk. Chops meets punk. Sure. I'll take that. <laughs> I can still do some punk stuff. It's just like leftover chunks is what I have in my playing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I still have like, I still have let live mannerisms that I can't get out yeah. of my playing because I like buried them too deep in my brain <laughs> and uh, they're just stuck there somehow, man. Certain things, it just works that way, you know? Cool. Uh, next question. Yuri Salukov asks... Does the size and quality of felts matter for the sound of a cymbal? Hmm. I would say no. Not really. No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think they're really, their function isn't to change the sound of the cymbal. Not necessarily. It's just to reduce vibrations between the cymbal and the point where it's mounted. Well, really. that that would actually be like the sleeve, right? Like the sleeve yeah. itself is what is the is the true barrier, the the sleeve on the cymbal stand. That's the real barrier between um the metal of the cymbal and the metal of the stand. So that's taken care of. The felts would be more so, I mean, I guess yes, if you use big giant felts and you clamp them down, you would absolutely begin to change the sound of that that cymbal. A little you, bit. You would. But it's it's such a it's so minuscule. I really wouldn't think that that's that's not how I would think about it. I would think changing the size of those felts and the tension of like your cymbal stand, like how hard you're pinching the cymbal. I think a lot of that would be 
in an effort to control the physical motion of the symbol. Mm-hmm. In that if if you were mounted a symbol with uh, with only a sleeve mm-hmm. and it like can swing like way too far in either direction, you know, I think that's probably the number one reason I would even change the felts or consider getting new ones is if I wanted to control the symbol. Like let's just say you had a ride symbol that you did not ever want to crash. And if that's the case, it doesn't need to move like at all, right? It could just be totally stationary. And so you would buy like bigger felts to pinch it down really tight so the symbol can't wiggle around. And I guess at a certain point, yeah, that would change the sound. But you know, yeah, it's just not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. I think if you wanted to change the sound of your symbol so dramatically where you're buying giant felts and pinching the symbol at the bell in order to get a different sound, to me, that crosses over the line where it's like, it's time to buy a new symbol. It's just not the sound that you want if you're having to affect it quite that much. So I would say, yeah, man, when you're thinking about felts, think of them more along the lines of physically controlling the swing of the symbol on the stand and not so much impacting the sound, though it definitely will. Um, it's just, a, it's like to how much. If you're trying to totally change the sound of a symbol, you should just get a different different symbol. Think about those felts in terms of physical motion and that would be it. Beyond that, I'd say just pick the right symbol where you don't need to like dampen it to that much. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Good question. That was interesting. Yeah. This question is from Google Man. Google, Google man. with three O's. All right. As a drummer, I've been playing in church for the last 20 plus years. I can lock in a pocket without an issue. I find chops on YouTube and practice them all the time. But when it comes to incorporating them into songs, my mind goes into overload mode and I forget everything I've been practicing. Is the simple answer to just practice more? Hmm. Well, the answer is always to practice more. You're not going to get around that one. Sorry. That, that is ultimately the answer, yes, to like everything, right? Um, but I will say this. There is something about taking chops from YouTube or OrlandoDrummer.com, wherever you get your chops. I don't care, whoever your chop guy is. Um, you know, there's something about taking those and trying to directly put them into songs, especially in like a church environment, that I don't, I don't like. Because it feels a little bit, it feels overly intentional. Like, and, and I mean this, I don't mean this in, a, in an insulting way, but like trying too hard and, and in some way missing the point. And let me explain. So I perceive drums really totally synonymous with learning a language in that, you know, when you go on YouTube and you learn chops and you're taking a specific chop, like a 24 notes long, 16th note triplet linear pattern, and you're taking that pattern, which we like to call a gospel chop, and it has a specific orchestration to it, and you learn that that chop at home on your kit. That's fun. It's a really fun way to spend a Saturday. I've made tons of those lessons. I'm not telling you not to go learn how to play drums that way, but you are learning a, a really specific sentence within a language. What you're not doing when you're studying that kind of material is learning the language as a whole. And I think the ultimate goal when you're studying music is to learn, learn the instrument that you're playing, to learn it as though it is like, like a language. So in our case, this would be all rhythmic. The rhythmic lang- language is one that is very malleable. It is one that you should be able to swim around within as opposed to just having a bunch of predetermined, memorized sentences. Because if you and I wanted to learn Spanish, well, there's one way to learn that where I just give you full complex sentences in Spanish and you begin to collect those. And ultimately you could have 100 of those sentences memorized 
And you could trick somebody into thinking that you spoke Spanish because you have over 100 sentences. And each one of those sentences has all these things built in it. So you are out here conjugating verbs and you have a large vocabulary of nouns. And, you know, it, it makes it appear as though you can speak Spanish. But as soon as I ask you to manipulate or change up some of those complex sentences, you're not able to do that because truly underneath all of those memorized sentences, you don't have the fundamentals of the Spanish language. And this is my fear when I hear somebody say that they're going to take YouTube chops and bring them and play them in church, is that, well, that it feels like we're cutting and pasting with language instead of treating language um, with the, the malleability that it is supposed to have. You should play whatever chop or groove or fill or whatever element of this song, you should play what ought to go there. And that is something that you should be able to, I don't wanna say make up, make up on the spot necessarily or improvise it necessarily, but the idea that the perfect thing to play is something that you found on YouTube is very unlikely. It's super unlikely. That doesn't mean you can't do that. Sometimes that perfect cut and pasted sentence is the right thing to play. You could just get lucky and it works out absolutely perfect. I know people that have taken my YouTube chops and put them on albums before. That has actually happened. And it kind of sounded dope. Like, I, I get it. You know, I wish I got some credit. But, you know, it, it can happen. It can work out that way. But I would say for the most part, you need to take a step back from perceiving these as like chops that are to be cut and pasted and put directly into a musical environment. Instead, try and understand what is happening in the landscape of triplets, let's just say, uh, because triplets are malleable enough, the rhythmic language is malleable enough that you should be able to, to rearrange and work out your own rhythmic expression in that moment instead of just reciting something that you got off of the internet. Merely reciting something that you got off of the internet is a trap you don't want to fall into because to me that is the antithesis of musical fluency, of rhythmic fluency. Fluency would mean um, you have this ability in the moment to sort of express what felt right to you or what made the most sense musically in that moment. So hopefully that, that makes sense. Now, all that to say, if you're struggling to put, um, you know, these these chops that you've practiced and you're trying to bring them into a song environment, I'm not trying to say that that's inherently some bad thing to do, uh, but really that is going to come down to practice and repetition. It is really sinking in what these phrases are, what these patterns are, because it sounds to me like they're a little bit blocked off in your mind. Like you have these chops are like, these are the YouTube chops and here's how they go. And then you try and bring them into this other musical environment and they don't necessarily fit. Practice is what's going to bridge that gap and smooth it out a little bit. Um, but with that said, I would work on the fundamental subdivision that you're trying to play. So if the triplet chop doesn't quite fit into the song, like in church, I would say don't worry about the chop so much. Try working on like triplets as a whole, like study the subdivision of triplets, get comfortable with that pace, um, with that, that particular note spacing, and then maybe that chop is the right one, but see if you can sneak a much simpler triplet fill, or if it's 16th notes, work on the fundamentals of 16th notes, and then see if you can get that fill in the song, and then if it, if it turns out to be the case, that the best chop for that song was the one from YouTube, then sure, then you can bring that one in and it won't be nearly as difficult. By the way, if you wanna study any subdivision specifically, um, I've got five hours of subdivision masterclasses on orlandodrummer.com, which really take you through each one of these um, 
individual like fundamental subdivisions that we should be studying. And this is oftentimes the answer when people say I have a chop and I don't know what to do with it or how to fit it in here. Very oftentimes the answer is to study the original subdivision instead of getting caught in the weeds on um, on a specific like YouTube chop. So anyway, I could rant on this topic for a long time. I know that was a long answer, but uh, it's a complicated question. But um, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It was a good question. Cool. Thank you, Google, man. And thank you, everybody, for your questions. If you have any questions, you can comment below on YouTube. You can comment on Instagram on any of Instachop's posts. Oh, yeah. You can submit it on the members area of OrlandoDermer.com if you're a part of the website. Or shoot me an email directly at Chris at OrlandoDermer.com. And I'll leave it to you to close out the podcast. Cool. So we got Joe Hodgin coming up here in just a minute. And him and I got to sit down in the studio here. He did uh, an episode of All In with Adam, which is my other um, philosophy, multi-purpose podcast. And so he sat down uh, here and we thought it'd be really cool to also do an Orlando Drummer um, interview for this podcast. So that's coming up in just a minute here. But I wanted to leave you with this this closing message, um, which is something in the ballpark of, of, you know, the value of networking. Because Joe and I met, just to set up our, our chat that here, you know, Joe and I met in 2013, and we met because we were both interested in joining um, this band Stockholm. And, you know, it's funny because that was ultimately a side project for both of us. It's not like either one of us cared that much if this band was gonna make it or not. I mean, it really, that wasn't the vibe. It was just like a lot of fun for us to uh, record and write music together and play some shows locally. And of course, we were hopeful that things would work out, Uh, but we had both been in many projects before. And so it was very casual. But it's funny because if I go back to 2012, 2013, you know, Joe is one of the now one of the groomsmen in my wedding. And I mean, we had no idea that we were going to end up being in business together for going on 10 years now. We just had no idea that that's how this was going to work out. And we ended up um, doing all sorts of cool musical projects together. Now, as you'll hear in in the interview coming up, Joe and I have um, or rather Joe is is very much into like musical uh, production, like film scoring in a way. And he's also a great mixing engineer. But it's interesting because I have helped him with some of those projects. um, And he's helped me with a ton of different audio problems and things that I've had here for OrlandoDrummer.com, mixing and recording drums over the years. So we have helped each other and taught each other so much in addition to working together and sort of being in business together, uh, which is another thing that we're going to talk about um, in his interview. So anyway, it's just one of those things where we met a very, very long time ago through a very random situation, and he has been one of the most important connections that I have ever made in the music industry, one of the most meaningful connections that I've ever made in the music industry, um, and I had no idea who that dude was when I met him. So if there's somebody in in your musical social circle that you've met recently, here's your reminder to, to treat them well, to be cool, you know, to, to be open to making some of those connections because you truly have no idea who is going to make an impact on your musical career or how they will even make an impact because all of the stuff that Joe and I do for each other now, man, I never could have seen any of that stuff coming. But again, we've played important roles in each other's musical careers and uh, I'm just so glad to be friends with him. So you guys will get to know him here. We're going to cut to that interview soon. Um, and yeah, that'll do it for uh, for us here today. Thank you, Chris. Much cool. appreciated. Yeah, no problem. And by the way, just to clarify, the full interview with Joe can be found in the member vaults of OrlandoDrummer.com, but you will hear a portion of it on this podcast. Uh, but again, if you want to hear the full cut of that interview, OrlandoDrummer.com. Discount code is in the description of this podcast. Check it out, and we will see you guys there. Thanks for watching, guys. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye.
I'm joined here today by brother Joe Hodgen. How you doing, sir? Good to be here. Doing good. Doing good. Yeah, man. It's weird how, I mean, we've definitely filmed some stuff together before, but I'm trying to remember what exactly have we filmed. Only the video we did, a, what, a few months ago for the members about how, like, how a loop is how made. How a loop is made, yeah, but that didn't go public. That was a member video. That's it, though. I don't think Weird. that is the only thing that I've been visual on Yeah, that has to do with Orlando Drummer, I think. I feel like we've mentioned doing this interview like 25 times over the years. Cause, yeah. yeah, yeah, multiple times, for sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why you weren't like the first interview necessarily. <laughs> I don't know, like the other musician that kind of works within the company. Weird, man. I feel like I'm not uh, the, I, the best person in front of a mic or a camera, you know? I'm... I don't know. I, uh, yeah. I can be. I'm just, uh, I don't know. It gets me a little nervous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a particularly, like, intense setup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, a little, like, there's a lot of lights. <laughs> five lights, three cameras. Yeah. It's a lot today for sure. But you've def- you've come and done, and we actually, it would be a really cool thing to talk about for anybody interested in, like, music education. Um, you've done, you know, your, your recitals every year for all of your guitar students, and you do this weird mix where like there's videos during the recital of like that are pre-recorded and you record them here. It's because <laughs> I, <clears throat> I'm way more, <laughs> way more of a behind the scenes guy, you sure, know, like sure. in anything I've ever been involved in way more of a, I'd rather be the one behind the scenes making stuff happen. Um, as opposed to being out in front of the camera. Yeah. You know, I think um, a lot of drummers feel that way in general. Like the back is fine. You know, yeah, That's yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where that stems from, but, uh, I mean, I, I you know, when we played out live with Stockholm or, or other bands we've been in, um, I love performing. Sure. That's what I was going to say. We met in a very um, public performance kind of project, right? That was all we ever did. Well, we did, you know, an EP, but mostly it was playing shows in that band. Yeah. But even still today, I feel like anytime I perform, I still get like deathly nervous. Really? Before. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't eat the entire like and I play like I played like probably thousands of shows, you know, yeah, and I still sure. to this day I just like I I can't eat before like if the show is at like eight p.m. I just have to fast the whole day. <laughs> I remember that man. It yeah yeah it's it, dude it's so strange. It's especially because you've done it so much. It's not like it's new. Yeah, you know. Yeah yeah yeah. But that's what I tell students all the time. You know when they're like get ready to perform. They're like, I might be nervous. And man, it happens to everybody. And yeah. It's what, how you deal with the nerves, you know? Sure. Which I guess I don't deal with them that well, but. <laughs> but, but you do learn like little tools, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. not eating is something that I, I assume you do it because it helps. Cause like eating just it messes me up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just my stomach. Um, it can be weird like that. But then I also, you know, I intermittent fast, probably five days a week anyway, just because. Skip breakfast and go late. Yeah, I just don't eat in the morning. Um, I just my stomach's really weird as far as like I, sure. I just can't eat right when I get up. Um, yeah. And I just find I'm uh, way more focused during the day if I don't if yeah. I fast until like two, three. You know, yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah. so much more focused. And if, if I eat breakfast and lunch, I feel very sluggish or like you know um, tired throughout the day. Just not as, sure. as mentally focused. But that goes. Yeah, I mean that does tie into music performance stuff because the better you know your body and how you react, not only in nervous situations, but just in general, like yeah. how, how well do you know your body and what it does in certain situations, you know? Yeah. 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 Man. So, okay. So let me give everybody the big picture too. So now you're a full-time guitar teacher. 
uh, private, privately, which in my mind is like, that's the only way to do it. I feel like you, you've never worked at a shop before? Well, uh, you do okay, that? so I don't, you know, I started off. Next step, right? Yeah, yeah. yes. I was a county supervisor for a company called Next Step Educators that basically did after school classes for like elementary schools and group lessons right yeah i started off teaching the group lessons but then i got promoted to county supervisor where i'd basically go to all the schools and set up the classes and coordinate sure. teachers who were going to teach the classes and do marketing try to get students enrolled in the classes um and yeah and then i eventually segued into just doing private lessons because a uh I don't want to say less work, like it, I'm being lazy, but sure. way less work for like twice the money. Sure. Um, and you get that one-on-one -on -one connection with the student, um, and you get students that really want to be there, that really want to learn, as opposed to kids that are just getting shoved into a class as kind of daycare, kind of. Yeah, I assume a lot of people treat it like daycare. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a common music teacher thing you realize sometimes, like... The younger the kid, like at a certain point, people do have enough money where they're just like throw them in a swimming class and throw them in a guitar lesson and then throw them in a bowling club and right and you realize that's what they're doing. The kid doesn't actually care about it, it's which I think is great though because you're just letting your kids try out different things, which is what you're supposed to do, you know, yeah. and which ones they like, which ones they don't. But you wouldn't want a full roster of those students because no. you're just a really expensive babysitter who happens to hold a guitar. While yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, granted, I wasn't teaching too much. I was just supervising and setting everything up but yeah. um but yeah so then um the company was moving i think they were moving out of orlando and another company was taking over or something and uh yeah transitioned to just teaching private and i kind of have an, had an advantage starting off with that because i felt like um you know being supervisor i had <laughs> an access to every student's email that yeah. was in the classes. <laughs> no kidding. I was so, always wondering how much you took from working at that company. Well, I mean, like... I didn't I not necessarily steal anybody. Like when we went, we're going into the summer vacation, I like sent out a mass email to like four or 500 students. Yeah, that basically man. said like, if you want to continue lessons during the summer, you know, I teach private and this and that. So I think I had... I got like 10, 15, between 10 and 20 students from that. Yeah, but that could take a year if you didn't have that email list. Exactly. Right? That's a huge, that's a big, big chunk of income, right? So that was a great starting point where I could at least go from that and to teach. And I was still gigging a little bit on the side so I could still pay bills. But uh, that's what kind of got me going into the private music sector. And then slowly over three or four years, I just... Um, built up more and more lessons yeah you know um, yeah. how many do you have now what's or what's your version of like a very full roster well i i was teaching six days a week um you know i've got around 35 36 students i see every week that's a um, lot man yeah now i mean because of covid okay so with covid you know i had to switch all my in-person students over to virtual yeah um you know we're doing you know, virtual FaceTime, Skype lessons. Um, and so I'm able to fit more students in in a day. Because the drive time disappears, right? That, that disappears, yep. Um, so I'm able to fit more in a day. So I took on a couple of new students. And now that people are going back to in person, I'm kind of stuck in this weird predicament where, you know, I'm almost overbooked. So I had to, I had to basically book my seventh day until summer Man, so i'm working seven days a week now just until oh, summer yeah. i'm giving myself just till summer until i can uh 
when kids are out of school, they have more time during sure. the day. I can fit more people in the day. And then um, usually I have like a couple of students drop off before the school year and yeah. I take on new ones. Yeah, those but, seasonal swaps. That but happen. this time I'll just, the people will drop off and I won't take on any new students. So it'll sure. basically even out to sure. where um, I'm back to six days. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. That's what I'm doing now, but I feel like my goal, because you know the past year, um, you know, I've discovered this whole... Um, film scoring, right? Film scoring. Yeah, composing. is that the right word? I don't know what to say when yeah, I tell yeah. people, like, you're a scorer. Yeah, what? yeah, film composer. Film composer. That, that's a composer, great way That's a better word. Yeah, um, I think last May, uh, Spitfire Audio and HBO, they released this uh, scoring competition. It was a Westworld clip. Mm-hmm. Um, this one? Yep, without any music. It was just the sound effects and audio, and it was like a competition. Um, and, you know, at the time, I was getting into, you know, turning some of our Orlando drummer loops, uh, reproducing some of them. Right, and I forgot about that. We There was a lot of thought and conversations we had about doing that, repurposing the drumless loop library, right? Yeah, because, you know, at this point, I've got 250, and we'll get into this in a minute on, like, what our agreement is as far as, sure, sure. Is, you know, I still own the loops. You're licensing them from me. Sure. So, you know, what I was, my plan was to reproduce a lot of them and uh, try to get uh, them licensed and synced to sure. television and well, commercials and things like that. Because so many of them were... You would you would show like you would write them with drums. I remember you used to show me some of those, and then you would be like, "It sucks to have to like mute the drum channel to export this because it it has to be a drumless track. That's what the product is. But like if if you click this button and you unmute the drums and add them in, like look how dope it sounds. Yeah. Like it's like commercial ready. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It made a lot of sense that you could literally just throw some, or even I could. There were some like that right where I recorded drums for <clears throat> them. Um, yeah, yeah, with the goal of sort of repurposing them. But anyway, that led you to uh, yeah, a down so, route. Yeah, so for a few months, I was like cataloging them and reproducing them and getting them ready. And then they released the scoring competition. And you know, my uh, film scores and film music have always been a huge part of like. I mean, I love film. I love music. Um, yeah. And you know, I remember growing up buying you know, Lord of the Rings soundtrack and, yeah. you know, the Matrix sound, like all these big soundtracks. Interesting. And I have said before, who who buys the soundtrack to a movie? And it's dude, you. You're yeah. the dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, um, yeah, I own so many of them. Um, and very much a big influence on, on me as a musician and everything. But it, for some reason, it always seemed like this impossible thing. Like you had to be classically trained or, you know, you had to just this impossible task of, scoring a film i I would think you'd have to have some classical training that that makes sense that intuition right yeah 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 but if you look at the evolution of film music it's it's crazy how it's gone you know you look at film music in you know 60s and 70s very very classical you know 90s you get this huge symphony this john williams lush symphony yeah yeah but around the 2000s 2010s it starts taking this this um weird this this turn towards uh you see more artists like Daft Punk or um, just more like contemporary musicians scoring films. Sure. Because they have more of like a... Uh, well, like like there's dubstep in the action scene yes, instead of something else. It's very synth-based, very electronic-based. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you get a lot, of, a lot more like modern style music, but with... There's still that classical spin on it, you know? Um, and I mean, I've studied classical music and stuff and... Um, you played classical guitar for quite a while. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting the evolution of it because, you know, it, 
I feel like um, the way that it's kind of going, not, I don't want to say anybody could do it, but it's definitely more achievable. Sure. And with technology, too, these modern-day digital audio workstations that we have to work sure. on, you know. And then um, you can learn how to use them on YouTube is a big part of it or anywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I did the uh, – you know, I was thinking about doing the competition, and, and uh, my girlfriend con- convinced me. She's like, you got to do it, you know. Sure. It's like, you know, just to see how it goes. And, dude, I loved it. Like, it was just something – so interesting about writing music to a picture I've never done before where even having written music for a decade plus you had never yeah. done it to a film but I've always yeah. loved whenever I edit movies I've my favorite part of editing film or clips or anything would be dragging different audio files in and seeing how they lined up or synced with the, the yeah. video yeah, yeah, that's yeah. always my favorite part um well you helped edit my first drum cover I didn't even know how to use yeah. final cut I remember yeah yep um, so it's interesting cause the, the things that I r- write, um, man, I would have never written it if I didn't have picture to kind of guide me, you know? Sure, so sure. it's like the pic writing to picture it, it really opens up something in my writing that I feel like I haven't never tapped into. Super um, interesting. Yeah. But ever since I, I, I've done that, I mean, this was back in May, what, eight, nine months ago, I've scored an entire feature film, uh, I think five short films, um, I'm just getting to work, you know, because it's like you've discovered, it's like you have, you know, you, you, you realize that you love music and that is your passion. But I feel like that's saying, I love football, I want to play football. But then it's like, well, what position in football do you want to play? You want to be the quarterback, the wide receiver, you know, and then when you figure that out. You, have, you do specific training in the gym for that specific position, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because even within any domain, like, like, yeah, saying I like music means almost nothing. Like, what are you talking about? Are you going to work manufacturing microphones? Or yeah. are you going to, like, be a guitar teacher locally? Or are you doing a YouTube cover route? Or are you joining a symphony and moving away to yeah. some orchestra and some random kind? Like, there's so many avenues within the industry. That makes a lot of sense that you're just now training for the position within the music industry yeah. but you, you have to feel that you have like the, uh, a tremendous head start right oh yeah and that's one thing that you know i've i'm definitely aware of that i've got 15 16 years of not only producing music and writing music but also uh working in logic the daw sure. you know yeah. um so i'm able you know i already know all the ins and outs of the program and and how to write and yeah that's um, normally people's first three years right three yeah. to five years just learning where <laughs> where the goddamn buttons are, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So it's it's been cool. And uh, so w- what I was getting at is that, you know, my ultimate goal, and, and I I feel like I'm a natural teacher. I love teaching. Sure. It's extremely fulfilling. I'll never stop teaching, but I would like, event, you know, to go down to full-time composing and a couple of days of teaching, you sure, know? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you're in that transition process because I feel, well, and I don't know if you, maybe you don't look at it this way, like you... At, at a certain point, this just happens when you get older, I think, you kind of turn around and look at, like, what you've done over the last five, ten years, what you've built, you know. Yeah. And there's, like, a certain – for me, I feel like a certain sense of completion where it's like, man, I can put my name on this and not walk away, not, like, leave the industry or anything like that. But, like, change feels, like, natural at a certain point. Like, yeah. And now it's time to, like, do something a little different. And I feel like you're – you're, I mean, you're well into that, but it's it's yeah. fun as a friend to like watch that transition sort of happen as you're creeping up on career number two or just like the variation of the yes. music career, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And I I mean, I, I don't think COVID pushed this thought into my head. I've been thinking about this for a little while. But, you know, you think when, you know, I'm 32, you think like, okay, you can only grow a private music private. business only so big. Yeah. Do, do I want to be, you know, in 20 years still going you know, traveling to students' house or having them come to me and teaching them lessons, you know, or do I want to be walking to the mailbox to pick up a check? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, Um, stuff you don't think about till you're 30. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to set myself up in 20 years, you know, to where, you know, I'm walking to a mailbox, getting a check, and continuing to, you know, because scoring, composing music, you know, I can do that till the day I die. Sure, sure. Well, you can collect residuals, too, and at some point... You know, when you're done doing this, you know, which everybody wants to look forward to retirement. It's one of those things that I tell people in the gigging world, in the teaching world, and not just teaching music. Like, we've had these conversations at at the, the gyms we used to go to back in the day with, like, personal trainers about, like, you can do the math and find out how much money you can make teaching private lessons locally. How much do you charge? How many students can you take a week? And then you can write that number on a paper and you won't make more money than this. Yeah. You know, and that that ceiling is uncomfortable um, sometimes. But you also don't care because making quick money doing private education like in your 20s is dope. It was I mean, I'm sure both of us had certain months where like we did better than a lot of our friends who were working more like corporate jobs sort of stuff. You have so much control, you know. Yeah. And that's I mean, I'm super grateful because I, I it's allowing me freedom and the extra time to now pursue this other path you know sure. because I've got all my bills everything comfortably taken care of you know I I only teach I mean like today I taught from from nine to six super crazy day to yeah, day but full day, man. Monday through Friday you know I'm really only doing 3 30 till 8 or 9 yeah I've got the entire morning to work on what I want when I get home at night you know I mean I don't have any kids um, yeah. I got a girlfriend no no wife you know so I mean I it's I'm able to kind of transition to to this comfortably you know sure